Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Backbuilders Podcast. Episode 51, Genuine Burning Desire. Now we're going to change up the format on this just a little bit. Uh, this is something that you guys are going to see more often if you're listening to uh, this podcast outside of Patreon. What I'm going to be doing now is uh, not on every single episode, but the vast majority, so over 50% of my episodes will be split in half and the other half, the behind the scenes or like more in detail or more content is going to be posted on Patreon. The reason for this is because I'm posting tons of content on there. I'm posting nearly every single day now and I want to push you guys towards that Patreon. So remember you guys can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. I guarantee you that the value that you're going to get out of that Patreon is worth more than a dollar a month. Keep in mind that that $1 tier is not going to stay around forever. That's eventually going to go away and or turn into a uh, higher amount for that lowest tier for admission as my content creation goes up. Um, so it only makes sense. All right. So the, the format for this is a little different. I'm going to read this article by the rational male Rolo Tomasi and quote the manosphere. Uh, and then I'm going to post the other half on Patreon. I don't know when I'm going to stop to be honest, but we're going to try something a little different. So we're going to read this article together and then we're going to discuss it in detail. So you guys know I'm a huge fan of Rolo Tomasi the rational male. I've spoken, I've, I've written about genuine desire before and what it actually is, what it looks like. I've had some experiences with um, negotiating genuine desire before, and it's something that I haven't really gone into detail yet. However, genuine desire is essential for a healthy relationship. As we go through this article together, you will learn why. Uh, mind you, I've never read this before, so um, we're going to be doing a little read along and uh, it could be interesting. Okay, so Genuine Desire by Rello Tomasi. This is posted April 25th, 2020. The Mystery of the Red Dress. Um, this is a strange article. It starts out with uh, about him almost 30 years later. That's a weird place to start. About him almost 30 years later. At one dinner early in the relationship, Job started talking about Ralph Lauren and his polo shop, which she admitted she had never visited. There's a beautiful red dress there that would be perfect for you, he said, and then drove her to the store in the Stanford Mall, Baez, or Baez recalled. I said to myself, far out, terrific. I'm with one of the richest men and he wants to have, wants me to have this beautiful dress. When they got to the store, Jobs bought a handful of shirts for himself and showed her the red dress. You ought to buy it, he said. She was a little surprised and told him she couldn't really afford it. He said nothing and they left. Wouldn't you think if someone had talked like that the whole evening that they were going to get it for you, she asked me. Seemingly puzzled about the incident, the mystery of the red dress is in your hands. I felt a bit strange about it. He would give her her computers, but not a dress. And when he bought her flowers, he made sure to say they were left over from an event in the office. He was both romantic and afraid to be romantic, she said. Okay, this is a weird way to start, but I'm, I'm sure this will make sense. Today's quote from the biography of Steve Jobs. I did read the book and I did read the book in its entirety in 2010, but recently had this bit sent to me from a reader as an example of how to, how an alpha should treat a gold digger. Hmm. No, 
That's what he said. Hmm, no. As an example of alpha behavior or an illustration of equal justice, I can see why this incident might be constructed as such, but there's a much more valuable lesson to be learned in this exchange. The incident took place between Steve Jobs and singer Joanne Baez, a woman who Jobs eventually had a relationship with. And then it goes into a little, I guess, backstory here. In 1982, Jobs was introduced to, I don't even know, Joanne Baez by her sister, Mimi Farina. He was 27 and she was 41. It turned into a serious relationship between two accidental friends who became lovers, said Jobs. Some of his friends believed that one thing that drew Jobs to Baez was the fact that she used to date Bob Dylan. Steve loved that connection to Dylan, said Jobs. College friend, said Jobs, college friend Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, Jobs' friend, college friend Elizabeth Holmes. Sorry, guys, I got to warm up to reading. I haven't read out loud in forever. The relationship fizzled out when it became clear that Jobs wanted children and Baez did not. Ooh, it's Rolling Stone, 2011. All right, this is from the writer, Rollo Tomasi. Using a red pill lens on this situation, we see a few apparent truths. The age difference was definitely a factor, but Jobs was well known for what was called his reality distortion bubble. In effect, Steve Jobs had an intrinsic understanding of himself and his mental point of origin. A lot of type A personalities have this in common. They innately make themselves the first thought they have in virtually all decisions they make. For some, this can be border on sociopath, sociopathy, but most people we consider success or geniuses had this sense of self as their starting point. But let's make this clear. You don't have to be a sociopath or solipsist to make yourself your mental point of origin. But that is where these states begin. Practically every, every very wealthy man I've ever worked for or with had himself in mind before a thought was given to anyone else's consideration in his decision-making process. Family, spouse, employees, friends were subordinate to his mental point of origin. For most, the process would start and end with themselves and their interests. Interests. These were the sociopaths. For a few that pro for a few that process started with themselves and ended with considering uh, the consideration of others. But the process was a pragmatic one that facilitated and maintained facilitated a maintaining of power balance. Sorry, the grammar is so strange in this. As I've said in the past, I'm a proponent of, and this is in italics, enlightened self-interests. I cannot help others until I help myself, nor can I help others as effectively as when I help myself first. It's not that you ought to become a selfish prick. You should think of interests of others but only after you've considered yourself in the scope of your own interests and how your interests facilitates, uh, facilitate the interests of others. Now that this is settled, let me say this by this matrix. Steve Jobs was none of this. According to the people he worked with, his fa uh, family and friends, Job had all the characteristics of a solipsist. Yes, men can be solipsists too, though it's more of a learned process rather than the innate proclivity women have to be solipsistic. From a business perspective, from a single-minded determination perspective, Jobs was certainly an alpha. His mindset was that of an alpha. His relationship history, however, was grossly influenced by blue pill idealism. 
One commonality you'll find among men we consider great innovators, inventors, uh, discoverers, and entrepreneurial geniuses is that they are almost invariably blue pill idealists with respect to their romantic lives. Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are two current, current examples of this commonality. Argue their greatness if you like. Their personal lives are classic, classic examples of what happens to the nerd, the autistic, the high IQ guy who afforded the money and success to live in their blue pill fueled impression of what a relationship with a woman should be like. A predatory woman with a savvy to understand and have the patience for the nature of a blue pill man. Men make these guys their bread and butter. And there's a quote, there's a beautiful red dress that would be perfect for you. End quote. I'm not sure I would describe Jobs as an autist or being on the Asperger's spectrum, but he was certainly on the sociopath spectrum. Try not to conflate sociopath with something negative in this instance. So sociopathic behaviors and character attributes can equally be attractive survival traits as they are evidence of megalomaniacal oh my god that's a mouthful megalomaniacal tyranny sociopath sociopathy is really by order of degree jobs was most certainly most certainly began and ended with thinking with himself in mind my red pill lens read on this is as follows Something in job, Steve Jobs' subconscious was testing Joanne Baez for genuine desire. I'm fairly certain most of my readers will understand the obligatory shift implications of a red dress being the item in mention here, but there is a method to Steve Jobs' madness. Quote, I said to myself far out, I'm with one of the world's richest men and he wants me to have a beautiful red dress. End quote. Joanne doesn't get it from the start here. She presumes that a rich man would want to purchase her affections via transactions of a gift. Not uncommon for a 41-year-old woman. And yes, her thinking here is exactly solipsistic mental point of origin women have a natural default for. Indignant guys will call her a gold digger, which is accurate. But moreover, you have to look at the process here. She presumes that rich men buy expensive gifts for the women they're interested in. But in typical Jobs fashion, Steve Jobs flipped the script without even knowing what he's doing. When they get to the store, Steve Jobs points out the dress and says, you ought to buy it. She looked a little surprised. She, shouldn't, she couldn't really afford it and said nothing. They both left. Quote, when you think if someone, a rich man, had talked like that the whole evening, they were going to buy it for you, end quote. Continuing, it would be easy to dismiss this part as default female entitlement. But remember, this was 1982 when wild women, particularly attractive and famous women, did expect things from well-to-do men. The entitlement levels weren't anything like they are now. I think she was genuinely confused. She really didn't get it. Quote, the mystery of the red dress is in your hands. I felt a bit strange about it. He would give her he would give it give her her computers that doesn't make sense he would give her computers but not a dress and when he brought her flowers he would be sure to say they were left over from an event in the office he was both romantic and afraid to be romantic end quote this part of this 
this end part is Baez's last attempt to explain why an eccentric rich man wouldn't buy her address. She thought she would look good in. I'm often asked how to go about vetting a woman for a long-term relationship. And I've written essays about how most men simply never actually have the luxury of holdings, much less developing, standards by which to vet a women's commitment worthiness. Most men are not rich men. Most men are betas. Fewer still have the sense of self-value or the access to many optional women. As to presume that to attest a woman's interest with him in any meaningful sense. Steve Jobs was not a, I don't know how to say that word, necessitous man he had or could easily realize options when he wanted to. But even though he was an idealist in a blue pill condition sense, his subconscious wanted something it couldn't buy. Genuine desire from Joanne Baez. It's easy to dismiss the red pill incident as just another quirky personality flaw of a borderline sociopath who didn't have the game or the social intelligence to know he was offended or turning off a girl he kind of liked. Indeed, Joanne tries to insert her own pop culture psychoanalysis of Steve in the end. He was afraid to be romantic and she just knew he wanted to be. I expect this kind of rationalization from women who miss out on a once-in-a-lifetime chance to optimize hypergamy. But what if Steve wasn't afraid? What if what what if it was a form of his shit-testing Joanne to determine her genuine desire for him? As I said, most men don't have the luxury to shit-test women at all. For low SMV men, SMV meaning sexual market value men, uh, for low SMV men, which is to say most men, the thought of experimenting with testing a woman for desire, much less long-term suitability, is never a consideration. Most guys can't even begin, uh, can't even believe their luck that a woman actually expresses interest in him because they've lacked romantic options for most of their lives. So to consciously experiment with determining honest signals from a woman she's seems like tempting fate. The thirst is such that most men would do damn near anything not to screw things up with a girl who's showing interest in him. Just be thankful your ships finally come in, right? I'll add again here that most women, particularly in the social media era, are not well aware that most men will never vet from anything beyond baseline arousal and sexual availability. availability. Thirst serves the feminine imperative very well. But what about men who are blue pill idealists that can actually afford the options? Men for whom money and access are no object, but still persists in the fairy tale the blue pill told them was possible. What I see happening here is Jobs' request for bias to buy the dress herself was a test of her genuine burning desire for him. Steve couldn't could have easily bought her the dress even the whole store, but that wasn't the point. What Steve wanted was for her to want to please him. His expressing a like for the dress was a subconscious testing her desire to please him. There's a little quote here. I think you'd look good in this. It's perfect for you. End quote. Isn't an offer. It's a request. Will you sacrifice something to please me? 41 Joanne Baez couldn't afford the dress. Hell, 
Ralph Lauren would have probably given it to her. But she expected Steve Jobs to buy it for her. That was her expectation then, and it was the source of her confusion right up to Jobs' biography interview. Her affinity for Jobs was transactional, not based in genuine desire. She failed the test. Whether subconsciously or by design, Steve wanted what was most well-conditioned blue pill men want today, a genuine connection with a woman based on genuine, preferably unmitigated desire. The desire dynamic is, is synonymous with the rational male. You cannot negotiate burning desire. That is, in, that is in bolded. You cannot negotiate genuine burning desire is a foundational principle of my work with all of the red pill awareness that follows from it. Steve's ego wouldn't allow him to negotiate for Joanne's real desire. His mental point of origin and marginally sociopathic nature wouldn't conceive it. But consciously or unconsciously, he would test her and other women he was involved with for her desire to please him. Next part of the article. What is your red dress? It's a cliche now for wealthy men to test women's interests in them. Quote, does she love me for me or because of my money slash fame slash status, end quote, is a blue pill fantasy script for beta men. This has been the plot of many popular stories and movies for centuries now coming to America with Eddie Murphy. But it's a cliche. It accurately describes men's subconscious coming to terms with a woman's mating strategies and opportunistic concept of love. Women don't fall in love with a man who a man is. They fall in love with what that man is. If a woman ever falls in love with a man, it's is it is it's only and oh, that doesn't make sense either let me reread that again sorry guys if a woman ever falls in love with who a man is it's only after loving him for what he is first that's some real cognitive dissidence a man has to confront in his life the indignation that dissidence produces is very much to red meat must very much the red meat most low sexual vol sexual market value men love to wallow in and commiserate in. I don't know what red meat is. She doesn't love me. This is a quote. She doesn't love me. She loves what I can afford her. She's a gold digger. I knew it. End quote. We love having women's duplicity confirmed for us as men. It means we dodged a bullet by not investing in it and wasting our reproductive potential with a woman who wouldn't be bad, but uh, a woman who would be a bad bet for our future paternity. It provides the same chemical ex exhilaration and re relief women feel when they think they figured out a man's, quote, true nature, alpha chad, beta dad. In the same way women get off on the indignation of discovering of men's attempts to deceive women's existential fear of false signals, so too do low SMV men get off on the indignation of discovering a woman only wants him for his money, not the real him. What our subconscious truly wants is a pairing with a woman who has genuine desire for us. Not unmitigated Darwinistic monkey sex is usually the manifestation of that 
genuine desire, but there are many more nuanced ways our male psyches will try to determine it. In past essays, I have had men and women run up to run up the flagpole for suggesting a man never buy lingerie for his girlfriend or wife. Quote, how is she supposed to know what I like if I don't buy it for her? End quote. Quote again, I love getting something sexy from my man. Sucks to be you. End quote. These are more like them are usually, these are more like them are usually efforts in remaining self-ignorant of never having experienced genuine desire for a woman. If a woman has genuine desire for you, she will be interested enough in you and have enough desire, have to have the desire enough to know how to please you without you explaining it to her. Genuine organic desire is the foundation of all healthy relationships between men and women. Women who have genuine uninterrupted desire for a man don't ask him if they can go to vegas for a girl's weekend her desire is for her man plates don't require an active spinning on your part when she has real desire to be a part of that man's life women will eagerly share a worthy alpha rather than be saddled to a faithful beta if she has genuine desire for him when a woman has genuine desire for a man, she just gets it. When he suggests that red pill, that red dress would be perfect for her, and she buys it, borrows it, or steals it and wears it for him. If Steve Jobs had to purchase the red dress for Joanne Baez, every time she wore it, she would be wearing it for her, not for him. Something inside Steve knew this, and something in you does too. All right, so I'm going to leave that here for the first part of this episode. That was about 22 minutes. That was a reading from the Rational Mail. What I'm going to go into now is I'm going to discuss and go into detail about what we just talked about with Genuine Desire. I'm going to give you guys some anecdotes, and then we're going to move into an, another topic of discussion, which is transactional versus validational sex, okay? So for those of you guys who are listening outside of the Patreon, and I appreciate you guys listening, just Google search Forrest Munnan and Patreon, and you will find the second half of this episode, all right? You guys have a good one.